All right. Can I ask what you're what you're using to record? Because one of my colleagues was asking me about those technologies, and I had gave her some ideas, but I wasn't sure what other people were using. So I don't know if this is the most. <laughs> so I'm using a Tascam recorder which I've actually borrowed okay. from the media department. And right now I'm sitting next to it and I have you on a Bluetooth speaker and I'm just holding the recorder up to it, which I don't know if is like the most high tech, but um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I have done podcasting before where I had like the soundboard that was part of the USB, um, which has been better. But I think if, you know, I don't know what the, what the, um, what their project is, but I've actually, I've tried this before and it, it's pretty good. Like it's, you can hear it. I don't know if it's like NPR quality, but, um, so, so that's what I'm using. Um, and hopefully it'll work out. So yeah, it's called a Tascam. Okay. So, um, I, hmm, let me get my notes here. So I wanted to talk to you, uh, for a lot of reasons. Like I said, a lot of your interests intersect with mine. And I wanted to talk to you um, specifically about your um, foray and interest and trailblazing, I would say, into bringing um, professional wrestling into the academic world, um, which okay. I think is um, really interesting. And I, I only came to have an interest in it recently um, through kind of non-traditional means. I, I was always aware of it, but I was never a fan um, and I actually, um, I don't know if you've heard of Hood Slam in Oakland. It's one of sort of the more no. independent wrestlings. Um, so I had oh, been good. taken there by people and I loved it. And it was very theatrical. And I mean, kind of that was my entry into it because I really love performance. I'm especially interested in um, camp performance, especially in um, kind of modern day camp, which I think wrestling... Um, I think that it uh, has a lot of that in performance. So, enough about me. <laughs> okay, so um, I, a lot of questions might be repeat. I did, I mean, I've listened to a couple episodes of your podcast and read your blog, but um, so some of this I just might ask you to repeat that. So, so just going back a little bit. So you study fan studies and fandom. So for somebody who's outside academia, how would you describe that? To them, and why would you? Um, t how would you explain why it's important to study? Well, I mean, there's a number of different angles you can take to try to explain why fan studies is is important. I think the most common one would be if you look at anyone in their life, mm -hmm. there is most likely something that that person loves and worships and just has a lot of positive affection for, and that's really what fan studies is primarily meant to do. It's to understand that relationship that can form when a person has this type of affection for, for some object, some thing that's mm -hmm. out there. And a lot of it's been focused on like media and pop culture items or sports. And so mm -hmm. like professional wrestling kind of like goes in between those two. But I think you can also see it in terms of like food and it's more being talked about in politics. And I, I it has that importance because it is something that is important to people. And it's, if we're interested in trying to understand the human condition, it's about trying to understand this aspect of the human condition and why we love something so much and what happens when we love something so much like this. Mm -hmm. But I think it also has 
importance in terms of, I mean, there's commonly thought of like the economic importance. Your fans are going to be your loyal consumers. They're the ones who are going to keep coming back and, and buying the things that are produced around the object of affection and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I think we're also seeing it now in terms of political importance because of people who are characterizing supporters of politicians as fans. Um, I've, we've seen it with um, Hillary Clinton, we saw it with Donald Trump, we saw it with Theresa May, there's a number of these ideas how you want to create kind of a fandom around a politician. Yeah. But then there's also this idea, and we discussed this at the Fan Studies Network North American Conference in October, this idea that, you know, you could even broaden it and say, if you look at the United States and our political polarization of left versus right, mm-hmm. that's very akin to a fractured fandom, to these fan wars that go on, because mm-hmm. you have one group that's very much loving one political ideology and one group loves another political ideology. So yeah. I think there's a lot of intersections and there's a lot of different ways in which it's important, but at its core is that idea of, well, what happens when you love something a lot? Mm-hmm. That's kind of what we're focusing on with fan studies. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I guess... Thinking of fans into politics, I mean, that makes perfect sense, but I guess it's not so much thought of as fandom, but I guess now it is more than ever. That's really that's really interesting. Um, just actually, Nassad, I was having a conversation um, with somebody about um, the, uh, I think they're called the Funko Pops figures. Yeah. Um, and I was, and my argument was, and of course this is an argument I came up with <laughs> in the moment, is that it's really, I feel like um, it's really just a consumerist exploitation of fans because they're kind of creating these figures that to consume as fans, that they're kind of just these figures that came out of nowhere. They only have a creation of likeness. Um, and I, of course that, the I mean, we had a discussion I maybe pulled that out of, you know, you know where, but I just think it's interesting that there's this consumer base for fandom, and then if you think about it, is that really wrong because people are celebrating their fandom? I mean, I don't know if you have any thoughts on kind of consumerism and fandom and if it can be a negative thing or it's all just part of the cycle and, you know, as culture is consumerism. I don't know if you if you are a collector of the pops. I have very strong feelings about them for absolutely no reason. <laughs> I actually do have a number of them that reflect my various fandoms. Like, I'm looking right now, I've got um, Rose from the latest Star Wars, we've got Liar Cat, and there's um, Reagan from The Exorcist staring down at me right now in the, in the living room. Yeah. And I think I, when it comes to fandom in particular and fan studies, I don't take like a, a, a completely negative, completely positive perspective yeah, sure. on all of this. I do. I do think that a lot of the focus is on consumerism for good and bad reasons. Mm -hmm. For good reasons, it's part of this idea in fan studies that we're trying to show that people are not just cultural dupes, that they're not just like passive people, that they are active consumers, They they will show their power in relationship to these corporate capitalist structures. Mm-hmm. So it, the idea that you want to allow for them to say what they want to buy and what they don't want to buy because in, in our society, buying power is power. So it makes complete sense to to want to focus on that. But then there is that idea of, well, are we maybe spending money and materials on things we don't actually need? Yeah. And things that just take up clutter 
But then there's the idea, too, about how these things reflect our identity and how it's good to be able to express ourselves and to find other people who are similar to us, especially if we think again about media and pop culture fans who have been stigmatized a lot and have, you know, been put down upon and called names and bullied and the ability to consume, to identify yourself allows you to find other people and allows you to find connections and community, which is really important. I know it was for me growing up in rural Wisconsin. Yeah. But then there's the other, there's the other side of that. Well, if it becomes too much a part of your identity and what happens when someone opposes it? Do you, you know, have those knee-jerk reactions where you just really react negatively to someone who's against you? And so there's, there's a lot of the, the back and forth. But I think what all of that indicates is just how fertile of a discipline fan studies is and how many different things you can look at with it. And why, again, it is so important because this is all the fabric of a person's life. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, in my, of course, as like a, a, a fledgling graduate student, I just want to like pick a, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's fun to kind of pick those arguments. But yeah, I mean, it's identity. I'm sitting here in my home, I'm looking up. I have these um, artistic renditions of Mad Max Fury Road characters in front of me that mm-hmm. I paid a lot of money for. And like, I mean, I like looking at them, but, you know, if somebody comes into my apartment, it's like, oh, it's my identity. And you're not just going to buy, you know, you buy the Funko Pops that you know, you're kind of assembling your identity. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily buy, like, the Star Trek ones just because they're cute. I'm going to buy the Leftovers ones, which I was really surprised they had. Um, But anyway. um, I'm actually at this point not surprised at any fun who pop I see because I figure there's someone somewhere who's going to love it. Yeah, I mean, there's it's like, wow, I didn't think that anybody... (laughs) It's like those shows where you're like, was this just made for me? Am I the only watcher of this? I, I feel like that sometimes, but um, yeah. And then you find somebody that actually likes what you like and if it's obscure and then that, you know, creates a connection. Um, I think my best friend, we, um, we met over a love of the Babysitter's Club and we talked about it for four hours and we were adults, but <laughs> it, brings, it brings people together. Okay. Yes. Um, you kind uh, you kind of answered that one about um, yeah you answered that let me this is I'm such a Terry Gross over here trying to look through my interview questions so so as I'm going to talk about myself again as a grad student in humanities and cultural studies like I'm constantly bombarded with there's no jobs there's no tenure track jobs this is you know it's kind of like why did you it's this very this culture that graduate students are going through right now. So, what would you tell somebody yeah. who wants to study popular culture, communications, media, fandom, kind of all the things you study? What would you tell somebody, kind of as advice, who wants to study it academically? I mean, would you realistically tell people that there is an opportunity, or what do you think, kind of, the future of the field would hold that somebody who still wants to study it academically could? I mean, how would you, how would you give us hope? How would you give us graduate students hope that there is a reason <laughs> to study this academically? Sorry, hold on. I need to drink some more caffeine first before I get into that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm drinking my my tea out of my Doctor Who cup right now. Oh, okay. there you go. Fandom. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I come from 
communication. That's my discipline. Yeah. And one one of the things about communication is no one comes into college like wanting to do a communication degree. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the number one number one idioms of our field. Yeah. Um, but what we try to stress is the fact that, and there's, there's research that backs this up, employers, no matter who they are, want someone who can communicate, whether it is text or oral or visual or interactive. We need people who can communicate because communication is fundamental yeah. to civilization, really. Um, and I think if we look at fan studies, not so much as just, oh, I want to study fans and I'm going to teach about fans. But if we understand that fandom is so integral to our everyday lives mm-hmm. and to how people will organize their lives and connect with one another and their shopping habits and their political habits, maybe even their religious habits, if we understand all of that, I think we can start seeing applications for fan studies outside of just the academic realm. Mm-hmm. But we can think about it, and I know Abigail the Cosmic. I'm hoping I said her last name right. Um, when she was talking at the Fan Studies Network North America Conference, was talking about how we need fan studies people to like work for political campaigns, yeah, and to help politicians understand these ideas about fan studies and how to in- engage with them. And, and there are other people at the conference talking about the same idea too. And I think, I if we look at fandom not just as a sports thing or a media thing or a pop yeah. culture thing, but as an everyday lived thing that can be for a lot of different aspects of life, then we can start saying, okay, well, you studied fandom, so then you could probably go work at a large company or a small company, or you can work in marketing, or you can work in outreach, or you can work in even, like, therapy, things yeah. like that. There's yeah. a lot of different outlets for understanding this aspect of a person. Okay. Um, I don't know if you can hear it. There's about to be a train going by my house because I live next to the track. So I actually might wait just a moment. I don't know if you can hear that. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay, that one. Sometimes they really like to get on that horn going through town, which I understand is (laughs) probably law, but, you know, I think some people enjoy it too much. Okay, that was your one. All right. Um... (laughs) All right, just moving to wrestling, um, I know that you um, talk about kind of the idea of convergent wrestling. Could you talk a little, just briefly what that what you mean by convergent wrestling? So when I started getting into wrestling, I'm also rather new into it as well. I think 2014 is about the time when I really started liking it and becoming a fan of it. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner and I were talking about some graduate coursework he did thinking about the idea of hyper-realism and, mm-hmm. and you know, this idea of, of simulations and simulacra yeah. postmodernism. And when we started talking about it, I started thinking about, okay, well, wait a second. Maybe that's what I find the most interesting about wrestling, is the fact that it is this hyper-realistic simulation, and it, because it blurs the lines between reality and fiction. And when you start talking about blurring lines, we're starting to get into what Jenkins was identifying in convergence culture, which mm-hmm. is something I teach in one of my classes. And I think that's what really drew me into wrestling, is this idea that wrestling is, is not its own thing. It is, you know, this yeah. very, sometimes very obviously, but sometimes 
very confusedly um, with the way that they construct kayfabe. It's this huge genre mashing thing where they draw rather overtly and covertly on a lot of different genres. It's with social media now, it's this interesting interactions between the audience and the producers. So it's a lot of these different aspects that we've been talking about with convergence culture for the past ooh, decade now, I guess. Yeah. And I, that's probably what I find most interesting about it, and that's why I wanted to write about it and, and bring together other scholars who are doing the same thing with the um, anthology that will have come out next year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, and actually, interesting, I came... Actually, the other way that I came through to wrestling was through folklore, um, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. I was doing... Do you know what um, judgment houses are, by any chance? Say that word again? Judgment houses? No. They're um, so uh, they're kind of a, a, a shoot-off of hell houses. I don't know. Sometimes people have heard of that. Um I ask because it's not like an obvious thing, but sometimes if people know, they really know. So it's like, uh, so churches put them on. They're like Christian haunted houses, but instead of um, like ghosts and stuff, they are more about like the sins, uh, like the the uh, consequences yeah. of sinning. And it, it really is very similar <laughs> to professional wrestling because they do that. It's like a simulated, you're part of it. Um, you kind of have to act as if it, it's really happening in front of you. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. And I actually went to a couple. And I actually, in the research um, that I was looking at, connected it to professional wrestling. And it's just an interesting, another way that kind of wrestling, even though people might think it's its own kind of thing and maybe low culture, um, it relates to it, and um, so I mean, it's it's probably I don't know if you feel this way, but like it, there's so much of it that I feel so overwhelmed to how do I even like delve into the culture of it? Um, but I guess you gotta you gotta jump in somewhere, and I and I have a friend of mine who has been a fan of wrestling, who's sort of been my guide, um, but it's such a long history that I feel like I need to go into an alternate dimension um, and to learn about it. But there's been a ton of great books and everything that people have written that I've tried to get my hands on, which is nice. Um, wow, this really interview was about me talking about myself. All right, so you do have the book coming out, and it's Convergent Wrestling, Participatory Culture, Transmedia Storytelling, and Intertextionality in the Squared Circle. Great title. Yes. Um, did Thank you? <laughs> did you? Um, I mean, obviously, you you were very knowledgeable about it. But did you have? Was there any difficult sort of pitching the book or like convincing publishers that it was a sort of a need and a gap in the research? Interestingly, not too terribly much. Uh, we had to go through another draft of our proposal. It was with the same publisher. And what happened was we went to um, Popular Culture Association a couple years ago and kind of like gave a presentation that was the overview of what the book's, I guess, philosophy or underlying ideology, what mm-hmm. perspective was. Mm-hmm. And there was someone there who was doing an edited series for Lutledge on sports and pop culture and politics oh, who yeah. thought it was interesting. So he then took us to the editor. Uh, we had to fix up the proposal a little bit after it initially came back with, you know, you got to 
picks us up. Yeah. But then it, it, it was well received. And I think the hardest part I had was some of the getting the contributions in. But other than that, we didn't really have too much of a problem pitching it to anyone. We got it into Rutledge right away, which is one of the big ones. So yeah. we were quite happy with that. Oh, well, that's great. It means that there is, um, that somebody does definitely sees a need for it. Um, well, and, and what was interesting was Rutledge had just put out a book on performance and professional wrestling that had just come out. There's another one coming out about WWE and um, transmedia storytelling. Mm-hmm. I know another one is in the works about politics and professional wrestling. So there's a number of them in the works right now. So there is a lot of interest. I think uh, I think the election of Donald Trump has helped all of that yeah. because of his his status as a WD, WWE Hall of Famer. Yeah, and arguably his whole campaign and performance, I think, is still yeah. modeling professional wrestling. Some of the, um, shall I say, the villains of professional yeah. wrestling. Yeah. Well, I mean, at, again, at the Fanstays Network North America conference, to my surprise, Paul Booth did a presentation looking at the analysis of Trump's campaign rhetoric for how it reflects professional wrestling rhetoric and that surprised me because Paul had never done anything in professional wrestling before but I was like yeah that's exactly right that oh I'll have to I'll have to look that up I'm actually I have a back to me um I have we have a graduate conference um coming up here which is like for me I kind of just like dabble or think it's like kind of like a safe space to kind of just go with a crazy idea and I'm actually working with somebody to talk about how um the bachelor franchise is sort of modeling professional wrestling now because of the, you know, because with social media and the gossip and these characters that create, they're like on screen and off screen. And I don't know where it's going to go other than, hey, look at this, um, you know, uh, look how these are similar. So that's the part I'm working on. But I don't know, maybe it'll be, if I can, you know, when it clicks that angle, it it might possibly be something I want to pursue. But yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's really interesting and exciting that something, because I'm a very big fan of, fan of, um, like bringing low culture or things that have been considered low culture and making them important and people not just dismissing them. And I'm constantly, for some reason, defending the Kardashians, even though I'm not even the biggest fan, but I, I feel <laughs> like that's the hill I'm going to die on is like, no, they're not stupid. No, it is important to study. It's not just fluff. It says a lot. Um, so I'm a really big fan of that. So you're also, um, and I, so the um, Professional Wrestling Studies Association, which is the um, professional association that you um, started or co-found, is that, has that been established? Um, I know that I've seen a lot on it. Is that something that is sort of up and running or in the, or still in the works? Well, you just reminded me that I need to send out the vote on the Constitution and bylaws for it, so I'm going to get that ready to go out today. Okay, well, that's, um, that means it's happening, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, 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 we created the Constitution and bylaws for the association to essentially try to formalize things, um, and mainly my goal for that is to help us to formalize the structure through which a online open access peer-reviewed academic journal can come out some hopefully sometime this year or at least by 2020 at the latest so we created a constitution bylaws we had a period through which 
anyone interested could go look at them, and now I have to send out to vote to all of the people on my mailing list, which is like 100 people, to get them to look it over mm -hmm. and give a yes, no on the on the, um, the document that we created. So hopefully by January 1st, we will have a ratified constitution and bylaws, and we can start some election processes and start actually formalizing the, the um, association. Mm -hmm. So my next question was, have you been getting a lot of support for that? Or, But it sounds like you you have, that there's a lot of people who are, have been supportive. Have you had anybody, uh, have you had any major challenges to forming that? No major challenges. I mean, at least no one's been telling me about it. I, yeah. <laughs> we worked through a Google Doc and we had comments back and forth to make sure we had the clearest um most applicable language in the Constitution and bylaws, but no one has told me, well, this is something that's not worth doing. Okay, well, that's great. Um, is there, within wrestling, I mean, there's so many, um, as we talked about, it's convergent, there's so many um, ways into it and things to talk about. What do you think are the biggest gaps that you hope that either, if you don't do the research, that you get some people doing research on? What are some of the areas that you really think haven't been studied yet that you'd love to see um, people do things on? I, mean, I think there's a couple of things. I think a lot of the research has been focused on the WWE, which makes yeah. sense. I mean, it's the biggest one out there. Yeah. But I think there's so much going on right now because of all the indies and all the, the global federations and everything. That'd be great to have more analysis of what they're doing, even if it's in comparison to the WWE. Mm -hmm. I would really like more look at trying to understand exactly who the audience is so that we could hopefully dispel those stereotypes about the professional wrestling fan. Um, I know there's been some work on that, and we actually did an ICA presentation where someone was looking at German fans for that purpose. So I wish I would love to see more of that, more of these larger-scale fan studies, because I know we've done them, or people have done them back, going back to the 1980s, and I'm trying to think if there's anything more recent. I'm not really sure if I can call any. So I, mean, I think those are the two biggest gaps I see. Um, other than that, I mean, there's just so, like you said, there's so much out there and finding an angle. I, I would love to see people just looking at specific local indies, not even like the bigger local indies like ROH or AAW or, or even PWG, but like with the one you mentioned, like very small local yeah. where they're still in a, a gymnasium and they get maybe a couple dozen people and that's it. I'd love more analysis of that. Yeah, or like in someone's backyard. I've seen videos yeah. of that as well. Uh, yeah. Going off of that... Oh, wait, one other thing about that is oh, I'd sure. also love to see more of the fangirl angle, too, because I think there's probably been more analysis of the fanboy angle. Mm -hmm. But, like, I'm <laughs> I'm just starting up a project looking at Slash and a particular slashing partnership or between two of my favorite wrestlers, but um, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa in NXT. 
and I would love for people to look more at how um, women are responding to these um, professional wrestling characters and stories. Yeah, I was just going to ask. I mean, with Slash has typically been women writing. I was just going to ask if you, if it's mm-hmm. if it's women. That is that is really interesting. I also want to look that up and see. Do you think that um, the show Glow has brought more fans mm-hmm. slash more female fans to the to the field? I think it's definitely one way to help with that. And I would. I would hope that the people who watch Glow are looking at like what's going on with Impact because they're doing some interesting stuff with their um, women wrestlers who they call knockouts. Yeah. Um, like Tessa Blanchard and um, Jordan Grace is fantastic, and the the Demon Bunny storyline is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Lucha Underground has done some interesting stuff with women. Um, there's of course pure women promotions like Shimmer. Yeah. So I, I hope that those who are finding the women in GLOW interesting are going out and watching, you know, the real women who are putting their lives, well, yeah, their lives and their bodies on the line in their performances. Yeah. Um, Just shifting gears a little bit, um, this is something I love to ask a lot of people, like as a, a media and communications and pop culture scholars, is there sort of an older, sort of lesser known or less appreciated text or show or whatnot that you would love to see sort of uncovered and reexamined, um, if not discovered, sort of like um, reconsidered for scholarship? I mean, in keeping with professional wrestling, I think if people went back and watched the original Glow, I think that would be yeah. fascinating. And I know there are collections, like I know Show TV has some of their um, earlier shows. Oh, like the actual, the actual broadcast that. shows? Oh, that's interesting. Because yeah. I know there's the documentary. Yeah. Yes, and the documentary is fascinating. I love the documentary. That was one of those things that helped crystallize my love for professional wrestling. Um, but the, you can find some of the original Glow sh- um, shows, and I think those are important to go back and, and watch as well. Oh, that's great. I didn't know. Um, I'll have to look for that. Um, I would, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Maybe to, maybe another interesting thing would actually be going and watching the Lucha Libre movies that came out of Mexico in like the 60s and such. Uh-huh. I think those would be interesting to reconsider. Yeah, yeah. I just love kind of like the unearthing of things. I mean, in like media, I, it's... I mean, I'm sure you have studied this and people have told you that, like, the explosion of, like, media and choice is just overwhelming and as, like, a like a current... It's like a source of stress for, like, an upcoming media scholar for myself. Like, I, I think, like, I have to watch everything because one day I might want to yeah. write about it. And then there's the older things um, that still need... Um, that kind of still need uh, a, either a second look or for somebody to discover it. Yeah, and, and it's just going to get worse with all of these companies creating their own streaming apps and everything. It's just become so hugely fragmented. Yeah. That I think I think we're in danger in media studies writ large of fragmenting ourselves and becoming fairly insular because we're looking at maybe one app or one show or one, one celebrity or whatnot. So we have to make certain that we keep these... Um, pathways of communication open so that we can have interdisciplinary discussions, we can have 
interfield discussions and intertext discussions to, so that we're not like only talking to the people who are <laughs> oh I hate to, to be disparaging but I want to make certain we don't end up like English studies where it's like oh I'm a Shakespeare person oh I'm a Milton person oh yeah. I'm a Dickens person and they never talk to one another we gotta make sure we don't do that yeah yeah I think I mean yeah I mean it's personally overwhelming as a scholar it's overwhelming and also you know as a graduate student I'm only limiting myself to like X amount of media consumption and then I end up getting overwhelmed and doing nothing but um, mm -hmm. yeah that's I mean but also it's great that there's so much content that like there's always there's always a need to write about something I feel like um, I feel lucky that like the world is my oyster if I wanted to pursue something for publication like there's always um, something that hasn't been written about which is um, just really exciting um, in that mm -hmm. regard so um yeah, those are all the the questions I had. I mean, unless <laughs> I mean, unless there's anything else you felt like you wanted to talk about or was important to the conversation, um, like definitely feel free right now. Although this isn't like a like a media <laughs> release, but I don't know if you feel like there's just something that you wanted to mention about it. No, I, I think you asked a really good question when it comes to, you know, the future of, of the job market and so on and so forth. And I think one of the things we have to remember is that being an academic is not just to be a teacher or to be a scholar. Because if, if we think about, or maybe, maybe it's to rethink how we think about being a teacher and a scholar. Because mm -hmm. we think about being a teacher as only existing in a physical classroom, the traditional classroom. Or if we think about a scholar as only being this person who is paid to to pontificate and write and be, you know, high and mighty in that regard. I think we're narrowing ourselves and our potential. And I think at this point in time, we need to do more public engagement with our teaching, with our scholarship. Yeah. And if we can we can if we can think about production that's not just an academic journal that's written for only certain people to be able to understand. And if we think about ourselves as being teachers on social media or being teachers wherever we are, whether it's in the a corporate boardroom or a traditional classroom, I think we can we can survive and I think we can, more than just survive, we can even strengthen um, the purpose of higher education. Yeah, definitely. And having, I mean, I'm lucky um, at Bowling Green, I actually have my master's in popular culture from Bowling Green as well, and I'm just so, I feel so lucky that I was able to do that, and they have the undergraduate classes, and I think we're seeing more interdisciplinary popular culture media text classes in undergraduates um, programs, which is really exciting, but then again, they're also in danger of being cut, so that, that's a really exciting thing um, to see along with the curriculum. Um, of yeah, have you? Um, I think if go ahead. I, I think if we if we recognize that maybe having a class cut is not necessarily silencing us, that we can find a different way to get our voices out there. As long as we keep getting our voices out there and we keep talking to people, we'll still be educators, no matter where we're doing it. Oh yeah, I mean uh, we have the power of words. I mean, and you know, although it's it is ideal to get paid for it. I mean, as far as the, you know, 
talking about it is, and I, you know, and I love, I'm sure you would agree that we've somehow, the, the business of academic journals has somehow kind of lost its way as far as getting, being educators. And I mean, obviously having an open source journal is amazing and so beneficial and, you know, I don't know the logistics behind that, but I know that, you know, I also believe that people should be paid for their work. So it's kind of an interesting juncture um, that we're in yeah. right now. Yeah, and I mean, I'm just, I'm moving into being the editor for the Pop Culture Studies Journal. So I'm working with the current editor and the managing editor to understand how they're doing it. And one of the things I want to make certain we have in place is that because we can't pick like our editors and so on and so forth and people who do the labor for the for the journal, I want to make certain they are at least acknowledged with a title that they can put on a CV or a resume. Because yeah. at least yeah. that way their labor is not totally without some type of um, some type of compensation. Yeah, it's. I mean, this is something else—a topic that I'm just interested in. As and I came to graduate school kind of later. I worked for a very long time and have come back to school. I think I have, I'm lucky I kind of have a different perspective than some of my peers about about work and like their anxieties are different than my anxieties um, <laughs> about it. And, you know, kind of I, being in an inter interdisciplinary program is like a blessing and a curse because, I mean, I love being there because anything, it's sort of like, everything you do like is support like everyone's so supportive about any topic and of course you can fit American culture studies is, is everything right so you can you can sort of get yeah. everything into it but then we also have you know we're taught by traditional academics who only have known the traditional like tenure track system so it's an interesting juncture right now and I'm always fascinated by like the the process of academia and the field of academia and that there's no one way to do it, which I'm a big proponent of. Um, it might be to my detriment, <laughs> but, um, you know, I feel like good work will lead, will always lead to something. Um, and you may not yeah. know what it is. Um, have you, um, have you thought about, or have, are you, have you ever taught like an academic course on, on professional wrestling? Unfortunately, at the uh, school I work at, um, I'm having a hard time getting students in my fans and fan communities class. Okay, so one thing at a time. Yeah. It's, not, it's an elective. Yeah, one thing at a time. But no, I mean, we have a, a colleague there who was really interested now in Lucha Libre. She's in the Spanish department. So it'd be great to be able to do some type of, of course, like, because we're also a Hispanic-serving institution, but to do a course that's focusing on the Lucha Libre angle and looking at Hispanic and Latina culture and relationship to it, I think that would be a fascinating class to teach. Oh, yeah, that would be amazing. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's the ama another amazing thing about professional wrestling, that it is so interdisciplinary. It would almost be a disservice to just keep it in one department because you could really yeah. um, do a lot of overlap. I mean, we have... I mean, I, I mean, I'm not going to tell them what to do, but we have, like, a performance studies program, which, you know, this would be an amazing thing to study. But, of course, you know, the, there's still very traditional theater, you know, very classical theater type um, of professors, which, you know, no, no shade to them. I mean, they've studied that and they're experts, but it would be amazing to bring 
this into kind of the discussion of performance in a department like that. But like I said, I don't think they're uh, I don't think they're hankering for me to tell them how to <laughs> run their department. But it just it, it would kind of be this amazing thing, and maybe in the future we'll see that as this topic. Um, you know, becomes back, becomes more in the forefront, which it looks like it is with your book and everything. So that's really exciting. What's interesting is I know of a couple of peers around, yeah, around the country actually, who have done classes like that, where they created an interdisciplinary class where they didn't just talk about professional wrestling. The students experienced professional wrestling because they yeah. had to create their characters. They had to go to a local dojo and learn some moves, and then they put on a show at the end of the semester. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I don't know so if, that, if, like Bo- if Bowling Green undergrad. I mean, I'm sure some of them would, but I just it, it that takes a very like a lot of convincing and a lot of energy and a lot of modeling for that. But that would be amazing. I would do that, but you know, mm-hmm. um, for some reason, I can't see a lot of graduate students maybe wanting to do that. But <laughs> um, oh, you never know. I mean, that's if true. you get into the camp aspect, they could really love it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, well, um, this has been, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to, um, I have a couple of books on my reading list for my winter break. Hopefully I can get to them more about wrestling and, oh yeah, speaking of just oversaturation of media, um, kind of even the WWE channel now has, I think they, it's 24 hours a day they're running programming, I believe. So yeah that's another thing that I'm like, stop making content until I catch up. Just everybody (laughs) stop. Like there needs to be a law that like everybody stops making shows for like half a year. Let's all get caught up and then we can, we can go back to it again. So (laughs) are there any recent, um, or like current shows or something that you think, um, is producing some really interesting fandoms? Um, interesting fandom. That maybe some things that we haven't seen before. Actually, I think Crazy Ex Girlfriend is doing some interesting things because of how it's handling mental health issues. Ooh, yeah. And so yeah. bringing in, yeah, bringing in fandom in relationship to that discussion, I think is one is wonderful. Um, see, I'm trying to think because I don't get to a chance to watch as many television shows as I would love to right now. Um, I think, and maybe this is just because I'm working on an anthology with some of the people on this, but I think looking at food shows and fandoms that emerge around food shows is also an interesting new branch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, there's been just this, I think, since the original, like, uh, uh, what was it, the cooking channel, the, the, whatever that channel was, I mean, just uh, people, even in my short lifetime like kind of the fascination with food and food preparation and then great Mm -hmm. british baking show which i'm sure you have seen or heard of um really creates a lot yeah i've actually seen i want i'm looking forward to writing about that about the great british baking show because again there's so many entryways about that about inclusivity and you know experience and food as Object. I mean, it's really interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going back to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I'm really, um, I, I love that show, and I'm really fascinated by the way that um, Rachel Bloom and the production company actually, I think, really understands fandom and how to engage, because I don't know if you follow her on social media or their social media accounts. Oh, like, yeah. It's very 
interactive in a way that's very encouraging. Um, and I think they have a Q&A after every episode with the creators. That's really kind of a lot of labor to be put in. So, yeah, that would definitely... Um, I definitely would look forward to that. And every time I sit and think about this, I have I have to I'm already adding to like my idea list of like dream things that I would ever write <laughs> or look into, which I'm sure will you know, I'm still a starry eyed graduate student, so you know, still hopeful that I'll I'll uh you know, have these amazing grants to write about this stuff one day. But you know, I can dream. I'm s i am I can dream, I'm still in that. Um well, yeah. I mean, anything else? I think that's that's also really important um, that you think that is important to this conversation. I think just the main thing is keep your eyes and ears and, and hearts open to what's out there. But at the same time, like, you, you said it was like, you know, the world's our oyster and we have so much possibilities. Just don't overeat on those oysters so that you never want to eat oysters again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, I think sometimes we also have to remember that we can turn off our academic brains when we're engaging with pop culture and American culture and all these things and just, like, enjoy something. Yeah. And that's, and that's hard. And actually, for me, like, my... I love reality TV, like The Bachelor, The Housewives, and all those. And I probably will never write about it just because... I want to keep it that way. I mean, I'm always, I'm obviously always critical about everything, but I'm a true believer in like, if you really, really love something, maybe keep it as just like the pure thing that you can like armchair <laughs> analyze because yeah, I've, I have been in that situation where I loved a show and then I included it in my thesis and I have a sort of a, a reaction to seeing it now. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that is definitely good advice that I think is hard in a popular culture program because everybody loves everything is so interesting. But, no, I think I think that is good. That is good advice um, for that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm really looking forward to the book and... Once that journal comes out, I'm all over it, and possibly by that time, I'll I'll have something to possibly submit, which I'm looking forward to. Well, also for MPCA, we have a professional wrestling, or I think it's called wrestling studies section. Uh-huh. So every MPCA, we try to have at least one panel. And so far, for the past two years, we've had two panels. So we're always looking for stuff for that as well. Oh, great. Yeah, and that's a great, obviously, that's a great place to kind of workshop stuff and start out. So I will definitely mm-hmm. keep that in mind. Um, well, I hope that you have um, a great end of the semester and, you know, have fun with all your grading and, and wrap-up stuff as it brings, as the holidays bring to academia. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, um, so um, hopefully maybe, I mean, we can still be in touch as um, stuff comes out, and um, I may have questions for you later as well for my own personal interests, so um, I hope that we can keep in touch. Yeah, definitely. Whenever you need anything, just send me an email. Okay. Um, Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thank you. You too. Okay. Talk to you later. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye.